Uh, The Bible reading is taken from uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, and it's found on page 1171 of your Bibles, if you've got a church Bible, starting at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. Uh, As uh, Mark has told you, uh, we're continuing our series Uh, our vision series where we're really unpacking uh, what it is that we are actually on about as a church. And as part of our vision series, I've introduced you to our mission statement. Here it is. You've seen it there before, uh, if you've been with us anyway. Empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace and for his glory, we make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in fellowship with his people to bless a broken world. This is really us trying to distill what it is that we are on about as a church to nail down the center. So we are under no illusions what it is that we are meant to be doing. We are meant to be making and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. If, you're, uh, if you've got eyes to see, you might know Jesus' great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. You might know the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, and you might see that in our mission statement, we've kind of blended them and added a few other things around them. But really, the Great Commission and the Great Command find themselves uh, in our mission statement, I think, quite appropriately. Yes? Yes. A few people agree. That's good. (laughs) We then ask the question, how do we do this? And as we've been explaining this, as I've been up here explaining, we've introduced you to the five purposes, all starting with the letter 
M, very good. Okay, here they are. We started with magnification, uh, the idea that we are people who are motivated by God's grace, that we are living lives of praise 24-7, that our life is lived and empowered in response to what God has done for us and who he is. That's magnification. Then last week we unpacked mission. The idea that we are out there as God's ambassadors. We are seeing people come to respond to the gospel, the simple message of God's grace to us in Christ through his death and resurrection. People responding to that message with repentance and faith. And as they do that, it is a very natural thing that this week we are turning to membership. Uh, As people come to faith, they are brought into the community of those people whose faith likewise is in Christ. And so we're going to be unpacking membership. Maturity next week, ministry the week after that one. We're asking this morning, what kind of a church do we want to be? What kind of a church do you want to belong to? What kind of a church do those who are heading down to Woodcroft want to plant next year? What is it going to look like? What What do you look for? A church perhaps where you can belong, where you can know deeply and be known by others, where you can be loved by others and you can love them in turn, whether you can be welcomed in, life together, shared. Paul Miller, uh, a man who I have great respect for, wrote once, he said, instinctively we know what makes for a good community, a safe place where I am included, where I am known and loved, and I, in turn, know and love others. That's what we long for, isn't it? We want to be part of something that is bigger than us. Let me just make a quick aside. When we're talking church, and I did this a few weeks ago, so for some of you it won't be a new thing. When we're talking church, we're not talking about priests and pastors and all that kind of stuff. We're not talking about denominations, okay? One of the great things that I'm trying to reform the way I speak is uh, I am a member of the Anglican denomination. Uh, The denomination is not the church. The church uh, is something else, okay? So the church is not priests and pastors. The church is not an organizational structure called the denomination, The church is not buildings, church is fundamentally, it is people, it is a gathering. And so as I'm speaking this morning about church, that is what I'm talking about. I am talking about God's people gathered. And as we look at membership, I see I've made a mistake in my slides, so just ignore the title on this next slide, the purpose is right. Uh, What is our purpose for membership, not mission? what happened when you build one slide on the next on the last weeks we aim as a church to see all who come to trinity church warmly and intentionally welcomed included and nurtured so that together we develop a great love for the church for which jesus died that is what we want to see as we see this purpose realized within our community now we've been asking all along Is this biblical? Uh, I'd like to think it is, but let me take you through Galatians and hopefully explain uh, to your dissatisfaction just how biblical this actually is. This morning I have three points for you. Number one, 
spiritual community. Number two, threats to spiritual community. And number three, Trinity Church and membership. Uh, They're on your sheets, so you can follow along. Uh, Let's dive in. Spiritual community. Now, there are lots and lots of communities out there, aren't there? Lots and lots of organisations, lots and lots of groups of people coming together. And they come together around a whole lot of different things. They come together around common interests. So some of us are, are, are crafty types, yes? You know, you get needles and you make jumpers and those kind of... I think that's called knitting, yes? Okay, you get together with other knitters and you have knitting... I think the technical word is a guild. Okay, it sounds very, you know, communities of knitters organized around their common passion for knitting. Okay, maybe it's gardening, maybe it's sport. You're organized around your common interest. For some of us, our communities are organized around ethnicity. So we have Asian communities and Indian communities and Anglo communities and whatever. For some of us, it's, it's age, it's gender, it's education, it's employment. Sometimes our groups are organised around our prejudices and our vices. But I would like to suggest, over and against every single other human community, the church is unique. Now, that's a big statement. But all of those communities are gathered around something that unites the people. So they draw together around something. Where the church, the church is gathered. We don't come together just because we happen to be people who love Jesus. We come together because God has drawn us together. Because the Holy Spirit is at work building the church. Christ said, I will build my church. That is the difference. Everything else has a human origin. But the church is a spiritual community and it is formed through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's mission. It's founded upon his love and his grace. That's magnification. It is gathered by God for his purposes and his spirit dwells amongst us. Let's dive into Galatians chapter 5. Possibly a familiar passage, but Paul has been outlining how the life of the gospel, the life of the spirit, in contrast to the life of legalism and the law. And he tells us here in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, no, there is no law. Now, you know, most of those things don't make sense by yourself, okay? I used to be a physio. We used to always say, and maybe every profession, every job does this, uh, my life as a physio would have been way easier if I didn't have to deal with patients, Okay, I think I've heard pastors say the same thing about congregations, but no, I I would never say that. I would never say that. Okay, Uh, these are corporate things so often. Patience with one another, peace together, forbearance, 
kindness, goodness makes sense within relationships. The fruit of the Spirit gives us a corporate life. And here in the end of Galatians 5 and Galatians 6, Paul unpacked some of the corporate implications of the Spirit living in us. And the Spirit makes us, let me say, a serious community. We are a community that takes love seriously. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, some commentators, people way smarter than me, they point out that love is the singular fruit and then everything that follows it really is an outworking of love in a different way. You know when you get a a prism, maybe you did this at school, uh, or if you're Pink Floyd nut, you know uh, the the cover of, I think it's Dark Side of the Moon. Okay, you have the, 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 the glass thing. What's it called? Prism, that's it. Okay, and you fire light, a white beam of light that splits out into seven, uh, the spectrum just dissociates itself, separates itself out. And it's like love is the white light that hits the prism and it manifests out in all the other things. That each of these other fruit of the spirit are actually a manifestation of love. And when we talk about love, we're not talking about, you know, kittens and roses and mushy sentimentality we used to have someone here who used to say can we have more kittens please there's a kitten for you but we're not talking about that when we're talking about love love does have an emotional component but it is so much more than just emotion when we say we're serious about love we're serious about sacrificially seeking the good of others We are serious about seeing Christ formed in others. That is what we are as a community. We are a community serious about love. And we are serious about love, not because we firstly are loving, but John says it like this in 1 John 4.10. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That is what we are called to do. That is why we are a community that is serious about love, loving people the way God has loved us, because God has loved us in Christ. That is an other-person-centered love. That is a sacrificial love. That is a gracious love. A love that responds to need, not worth. A love that doesn't ask, what's it going to cost? But a love that sacrificially works for their good. We are a community, or we should be a community, that takes love seriously. We also take sin seriously. Firstly, with ourselves. Verse 24, chapter 5, Paul writes, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, the flesh is humanity in opposition to God. That's Paul's kind of shorthand of saying, this is, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about humanity in opposition to God. That part of us that does not want to do things God's way. And Paul tells us that we belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh. Now, 
it's a bit of a weird image, but it was a very vivid image for them. But if you're familiar with Galatians, you'll be thinking, what's he talking about? Because a bit earlier, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says that, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. He is, in some ways, the victim of the crucifixion, the beneficiary of the crucifixion at that point. But in 5.24, he's saying that he and all of us in Christ have crucified the flesh. What he's saying is that the first decisive blow that sees us dying with Christ and rising to new life happens at God's hands. But then we as a community and we as individuals, as we seek to grow in Christ, we work cooperatively with the Spirit. It's what theologians call sanctification. We work with the Spirit to see the fruit of the Spirit work out in our lives. So Paul is telling us that we who are in Christ, we take sin seriously, so seriously that we crucify the flesh by the power of the Spirit. He goes on, verse 25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? We kind of could go, oh, that sounds really otherworldly. But what have we just been learning about the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, faith, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Simply means that the fruit of the Spirit are more and more and more evident in our lives. This is not something mysterious. He's not talking about guidance. He's talking about behaviour. He's talking about our life together and we take manifesting the spiritual fruit seriously. So we turn from the flesh and we want to see the fruit of the spirit more and more and more. We take sin seriously. It's important that we do this a little bit later on and we'll come to it in 6 verse 5. Paul tells us that we each carry our own load. What he's talking about is no one can stand before the judgment seat of God for you. Each of us stand before God. We are individually accountable. Each of us, if our faith is in Christ, are saved on the basis of his merits. But our individual actions matter. So Paul says we are a community that takes sin seriously in ourselves, and also in others. 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you who are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit more and more and more, you who are turning from your own sin and seeing God's purposes and God's character worked out in your life, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Paul here says that we should have a concern as a community to see each one of us growing in our likeness of Christ. The word here is restore. It's a word that's used to talk about a broken bone, 
being reset, a limb being restored to function, a wall being rebuilt, function restored. It's a addressing an issue with the aim to bless. It's not point scoring. It's not putting others down. It's not putting them in its place. It's actually saying, brother, sister, you are going down the wrong road. If you are after what is good, what is right, what is where true blessing is found, you need to come back. You need to find that in Christ. You need to find that in the spirit. That is what he's talking about. It's hard. We have a culture, especially the younger culture, the younger ones amongst us. You, you know what it's like. You feel because non-judgmentalism is being held up as the ultimate virtue. And so there's an attitude out there that says, you know, it's good for me, but I can't impose that upon you. I was reading a book during the week called Lost in Transition, The Darker Side of Emerging Adulthood. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, But the opening chapter is on morality. And they've done interviews with uh, 18 to 23-year-olds. And you have accounts of these, these young adults struggling to actually say that someone who kills others is actually doing something wrong. They say things like, oh, well, that would be wrong for me. But from their background, in their culture, that might be an okay thing. And so they end up not being able to actually comment on anything. Only what they feel for them is the right thing. That is the culture that increasingly is there. It's being pushed through our schools and our universities, in our newspapers. And so we look at something like this, something like Paul saying, if you, you should restore someone. You mean I should speak into their lives? I should tell them that they are going the wrong... It goes against our culture. But our culture says, oh, it's live and let live. But Paul would say, no, 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 it's live and let die. And it is frankly unloving. He tells us to carry one another's burdens in verse 2. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the law, Paul tells us in Romans. It is the law to love. And Paul says, as we take our brother and sister and we restore them graciously, gently, We love them and to walk away from their sin and to act like it doesn't matter is to actually hate them. Jesus rightly condemns judgmentalism, but he calls us to love one another. How can we do that in a life-giving way? Well, we must take grace seriously. We must take grace seriously with ourselves. We must see that we are sinners saved by grace. Paul says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If you build up this self-image of how good you are, Paul tells you that you are deceiving yourself. 
Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. 6 verse 5. But if I am looking more like Christ, if I am growing in my faith, if there is more and more fruit in my life of love, joy, faith, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, whose work is that? It's God's work. It's the work of the Spirit in me. And it is given to me by God's grace. Not because I'm better, not because I'm more spiritual, not because I'm more holy, but by God's unmerited favour. He is at work in me. He has brought me from death to life, not because I deserve it. I deserve nothing but condemnation. And so as I look at myself... And as I see God at work, as I see myself making progress, taking pride, literally he's saying, they have a boast, they have a claim. Our claim is that Christ is at work in us. That is what we can claim. We take grace seriously. It gives us a humility. So as I come alongside a brother or a sister who is sinning, I'm not saying, look, I've got it all together. Let me show you how it works. I am a sinner restoring a sinner by God's grace. It gives us humility. It gives us confidence. Because I know no matter what reaction I get in turn, I am accepted in Christ and nothing can take that away. It gives us confidence. And when we take grace seriously in our relationships with others, there's no pride, there's no comparison, there's no envy, there's no provoking, as Paul says, there's a concern just to bless, to carry one another's burdens. Don't you want to be part of that kind of a church? A church that takes love and sin and grace and community seriously. Our society doesn't do community well. Another book I was having a look at is called Alone Together. It says we are both craving and terrified by community. Uh, Can we get into it? We need it. We want it. But how is it possible? Well, Paul lays out through the life that comes through the Holy Spirit, that comes to us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It is possible. So we come together, not as a collective of individuals, but we come together as God's people. And we have a very high view of community. It's not an optional extra. It's not if I've got nothing better to do on Sunday. You were saved to be part of God's people. We take community seriously. But what threatens it? As I've said a few times, each of these things are going against the flow. It's going against the grain. And in chapter 6, verse 9, Paul talks about going weary. We push up against a culture that is pushing in the other direction. And if we are not careful, we will drift. Let me give you four drifts quickly. We drift from being driven by love to driven by utility. 
Not what I can give, but what I can get. What's in it for me? And the church becomes not a family that I can serve, but a service provider which I can evaluate whether it's meeting my needs or not. Our society is moving more and more in the directions of contractual relationships. I'm old enough that I can remember when prenups were a new thing. You know, you sit down and you work out what the requirements of this marriage uh, are going to be before you enter into it. And then you arrange for the breakup and how that's all going to work on the other side. Uh, it's a contractual relationship and I'm here for as long as it takes, for as long as my needs are being met. That attitude is just one expression and it comes across into church. Our attitude We look for what we can get. And can I say it's made easier when you view the church as an institution rather than a family. When you view the people around you, you don't know them. You're not part of their lives. You don't see them as those to be loved. It's harder when it's a family, harder to walk away from their needs. There's a drift from love to utility. There's also a drift from grace to law. This is in the Christian life. We are built, we are made to be Pharisees. And as we shift away from grace, as we lose track of our desperate need day by day by day for the continuing grace of God to us in Christ... When we start living by law, we will look down on others who trip where we don't. We will have pride when we win. I've got it all together. Look at me. This church would be happy to have me. We hide. We conceal. We can't let you in under the surface. I can't let you realise that I'm not perfect. You know the car park miracle? (laughs) You know, you've had a rubbish week, everything's falling apart, you get into the car park, the smiles go on. How's your week? Yeah, great. (laughs) Great. As we shift from grace to law, we build our identity on performance and we start comparing ourselves. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm I'm better than him. (laughs) And I wasn't pointing at you. You can work out which one I was pointing at. Actually, I was pointing at David, actually. (laughs) Yeah, he gave me a thumbs up. That's good. (laughs) A community driven by law becomes self-righteous, becomes sanctimonious, becomes distinctly unattractive. We have to fight that drift. We can drift from the spirit to flesh. Paul writes, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman for that matter, reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, that's part of them that is in rebellion against God, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit or by the Spirit, will reap eternal life. If we allow the works of the flesh to flourish, if we take sin lightly, it will destroy our community. It will destroy our community. We drift from love to utility 
from grace to law, from spirit to flesh, and from truth to error. This is why I think Paul chucks this little one in there. feels very self-serving to bring Galatians 6.6 to your attention. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. All in favour say? Yeah, yeah, it's good. (laughs) Let me just uh, not defend this too much, but uh, let Martin Luther do it for me. He says, it's impossible for one man both to labour day and night to get a living and at the same time to give himself to the study of sacred learning as the preaching office requires. You need people like me and like Colin and like Mark who are able and we have the privilege of being able to be set apart to spend time in God's word to prepare this, not just to sort of pick one off the shelf and just trot it out, but actually wrestle together help us wrestle as a community around God's word. We can drift from truth to error. Let me wrap up. Trinity Church and membership. We want to see our purpose for membership realised more and more. That we become a community that is more and more displaying who we are in Christ. A community that takes love and sin and grace and one another seriously. I've loved having, so far I think we've had about 50 people around for lunch over the last two weeks. We're looking forward to the rest. And if you're not not booked in for lunch, we really do want you to come, okay? Uh, It's been so good actually just sharing life together. Even though we might be having just a mundane conversation, what a blessing to be together as a community, to love one another, to share time together. We want to be a community that loves one another because God has loved us. Fellowship with God's people is is not negotiable. Every now and again, I come across Christians who say things like, I'm not part of a church, but I'm part of the universal church. Can I say... With respect, absolute rubbish. (laughs) Absolute rubbish. You cannot be part of the universal church without being part of a local congregation where you are known and knowing, loved and loving, where you are bound to brothers and sisters. It's kind of like saying, I'm part of a family, but I never turn up for any family functions. I never turn up when there's a birthday, when there's a wedding, when there's a baptism, when there's a funeral. I never acknowledge someone's birthday. Actually, I live 24-7 as though they don't exist, but I'm part of that family. Rubbish. You bear the name, but that's it. It's the same with the church. You've got to be there on the ground. That's what God has called us to. That is what Christ died to make you a part of. And do we dare treat lightly something that he died to make possible? Because it is the gospel and the work of the spirit through the gospel that draws us together. Let me appeal to your self-interest in case you're not uh, convinced by that argument. Uh, This is a study that was done by Willow Creek. Some of you might know the name Bill Hybels. This was one of the biggest churches in the States. 
they looked at what they were doing and they realised that they were failing abysmally, okay? Uh, They saw that their task was to make disciples, as ours. They had over, I think, 15,000 people attending Sunday services, okay? They had a network of churches all over the US and they looked at themselves and said, we're not doing what we should be doing. Okay, this was their study. I have a copy of this. You can have a look at it if you want. But one of the things that they found about growing in Christ, that if you want to grow in Christ, being part of a Christian community is absolutely essential for every stage of maturity. You never outgrow your need for your family. Never. That's what they showed. And the Bible testifies to that. So what's it mean? For us individually, maybe this morning I've said a few things that have uh, provoked you. What is your attitude to church? How do you view gathering with the regular members of your congregation, whether you're visiting here and you've got a regular congregation somewhere else, or whether you're a regular part here. How do we view that? Do we have a kind of a club mentality, a a voluntary association? If I've got nothing better to do, I'll go along. Or do we see something much stronger? Do we have a utility relationship? If it suits my needs, can I say, for your good, Brother, sister, you you need to repent. That's not God's view of the church. What else? For us individually, we need to pray. Uh, I'm encouraged that I'm not the only one that does this, but praying that God will actually bring people across my paths every Sunday morning that I'm here that I can be a blessing to. And my prayer is that that would be everyone's prayer. And could you imagine a community where we all came in going, how can I bless everyone else? What an amazing church that would be. Everyone would be carrying everyone's burdens. Pray that we would love the church. For us together, what's it mean? Well, one of the things that, that's what Karen's going to be sorting out. Isn't that great? I can just handball uh, to her. Uh, But... Some of the things that she's going to be overseeing, like welcoming and integration and pastoral care, are things that we should be doing naturally. But as we get a bit bigger, we need to be a little bit more formal about how we do it. And so that's one thing that she's going to be looking at. But what I want to do is I want to leave you with the end of Galatians 6, verse 10. He says, therefore, Paul sums up, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. More next week and the week after. I'm going to leave you now just with a bit of a time of reflection. Uh, You've got a sermon outline potentially and a pen. Uh, Maybe jot down something. Maybe jot down a question. If you've got questions, you want to grab me afterwards or ask someone around you. Uh, Jot down something that maybe God has provoked you to ponder more or to pray about. Uh, And then in just a moment after that, a couple of minutes, uh, Simon and the band will rematerialise.